It's time for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group with certified financial planners Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, and Josh Gregory. The Wise Money Show is brought to you by the attorneys at South Bank Legal, First State Bank, Diane Bennett and the Inspired Homes Team, and Bethel University Adult and Graduate Studies. Welcome to another episode of The Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group, where every week we're helping you take your next wise step in your financial life. Thanks for being here, friends. My name is Mike Bernard. I am your host. I'm also one of the certified financial planners on the show. With me in the KFG studios, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. Riddle me this, Mikey B. Should you be optimistic about the stock market for the rest of 2020? Or is there reason to be pessimistic? In either scenario, how should you position your portfolio for the best chances of success in the second half of the year? We're providing our insights and more coming up this hour on Wise Money. I'll take that riddle, Kevin. I will, I'm up to that challenge. We're going to talk about that. If you have questions, we've got some great questions from fans of the show. Reach out to us. You can find us online, wisemoneyshow.com. So I'm going to question right there. Call or text 574-222-2000. At 574-222-2000. But let's face it, most of the questions come in on social media. You'll find us wherever you're at. Just search The Wise Money Show. YouTube channel, Facebook, Twitter, we get a lot of questions there. So just search The Wise Money Show. Follow us there as well. Oh, my goodness. So is have we broken a record for the most um, financial headlines in a year thus far in six months? It's yeah. possible. It's it's possible dominating everyone's newsfeed, isn't it? But it, let's say you um, w- were hibernating, which <laughs> sounds really appealing, by the way. Um, <laughs> you were hibernating at the beginning of the year, and you just woke up, or you did what Josh says, right? Josh, you say don't look at your invest. You look at your investments twice a year, right around the beginning of the year, right around the middle of the year, and you shouldn't look at them at all. So let's say you were that disciplined. You'd wake up or you'd look and midpoint of the year, the stock market's down about four or five percent. No yeah. big deal. Bonds are up a couple percent. And you think, well, that's pretty boring. <laughs> <laughs> and it's been anything but boring. And and if you get under the surface, that's where you get to see the problems because small caps are down 15 percent. International's down 15 Real estate's down a bunch. And, and obviously, you know, the road from starting the year to down three or four for the stock market was not a straight line. Yeah. You know, that was that was crazy. So here's the deal. There's reasons, there's tangible reasons to be optimistic from here. But obviously, there are lots of people that are cautious. So which way should you be? And we're going to lay out the reasons to be cautious or pessimistic and the reasons to be bullish or optimistic and always get and then we're going to apply it to your situation, tell you what you should be doing in face of all this uncertainty. So um, given the choice of, hey, I've got good news and bad news, which one do you want to start with? You always start with the bad news. You always do. So there's a little advice for you this this hour. So let's start with the bad news. Why should you be cautious? What are the reasons to be pessimistic or cautious about the overall stock market? Well, can we start with the obvious one first? You know, that that little virus hmm. that's been going around the, uh, the the whole world here that took away your sports this spring and maybe canceled your vacation disrupted your kid's school, and uh, maybe even shut down your favorite restaurant. All of that has an impact on the stock market, too, on your investment portfolio. Whether you are a a CD investor at the bank, you've been affected. Oh, yeah. If you've got mutual funds and a retirement plan at work, you've been affected. Even if you're a, a stock picker yourself, you have been affected by this. And 
really are, are likely to continue to see volatility this year because of the coronavirus. And uh, it, it is so unknowable um, what kind of lasting impact it has had on our economy and on individual companies or, or entire industries. And that is being worked out. It is being figured out every day in the stock market as more information becomes available. And so the, the coronavirus is another, it's one of those clouds of uncertainty that's still hanging over the investment world. So if we're starting pessimistic here, <laughs> the fact that we still don't know how the coronavirus is all going to shake out, when, it, when it's going to be in the rearview mirror, is part of the reason why many people are, are looking at the stock market's performance here recently and saying, well, boy, can I trust this run that we've been having? Yeah, and I don't like to uh, ascribe my reasons to why the stock market's doing anything, because the only thing I've learned over the last 26 years is that I'm wrong. At yeah. <laughs> almost every turn, I'm wrong. And one of my favorite things to do, and I would encourage you to not do this, but is to just, I pull up Yahoo Finance, and it says the, you know, the market's up 100 points today because of yeah. fill in the blank, mm -hmm. and the market's down 100 points today because of fill in the blank. And it's it's all it's it's absolute baloney. Yes. And and so I look at that and, and I think there's no if you would have told me and this is where I always I, I kind of like to do a test and say, what do I think the market's going to do? And then I'll watch and see what it, it's doing. Even today, if you would have said, hey, the market's going to be back from I don't know where we touch bottom 18,000 or something uh, back from that. I. I would have said no way. There's just no way. So the, the this uh, this this year, among all years, has caused incredible head scratching because this is the you know we're talking about the coronavirus. The coronavirus was the thing that caused us to voluntarily shut down our economy right. for the first time ever. And if you talk to, and especially just living in northern Indiana, if you talk to your buddies in the RV industry or some of these other industries, they were having two of their best months ever in January and February thinking, oh, man, this is going to be a spectacular year. You know, this is going to be the year of big bonuses and all these other things. And they when everything shut down, they were convinced that they were wrong. Now now they're back on that train again yeah, because if you look at the things that the coronavirus has done, it is, according to the CEO of Airbnb, it has changed the way uh, recreation and hospitality and these other industries are going to be forever. And I can tell you this from experience, if you've tried to find a spot in a campground this summer, mm -hmm. you, you, if you didn't already have it, you, you're not getting it. You're exactly right. And it, it just underscores how uh, crisis moments in, in the economy or in the stock market, there are winners and losers every time, right? And you know, the RV industry, it seemed like, man, aren't they kind of due up for a slowdown of some kind? Not anymore, right? right? Everybody wants an RV. You know, I've, I've even contemplated an RV, <laughs> and I've, I've said for years that I'm all camped out. You know, I'm, I'm done camping, right. but uh, now, who knows, right? So I, I think I, we should get one, Josh. So <laughs> we certainly don't know where in the world this, this coronavirus thing goes from here, right? I mean, they're, they're talking about, the, and if I'm trying to get these really, really smart technical terms, a second spike 
and then a second wave. Like, I think those are two different things, but I'm not supposed to wear my mask or I am supposed to. I mean, we don't know. We, we, we can't even get the story straight, right? So how are we going to predict the future? Yo, what is it? Uh, Yogi Berra says uh, prediction is always dangerous, especially if it's about the future. And, <laughs> and so, I mean, it's impossible. But that's creating this cloud of uncertainty over the stock market and the economy. So that's a reason to be cautious and pessimistic. The one that freaks me out is valuations. What that what that means is the price, the price of the stock market and the stock market's just the value of companies. So don't let's demystify it. That's OK. If you wanted to buy Disney, here's the price of Disney. You can be an owner. And uh, but when you compare that price that you're paying today for the profits of the company, um, that means you're paying a huge amount today for these measly profits. We are about to, if I can make a prediction, sorry, Yogi, uh, you're wrong, because this one I think is going to be easy. I think we're going to break the record for highest P.E. ratio or most expensive stock market ever here within the next couple of months as we see earnings go through the floor for the second quarter. So we'll see. I want to pick that back up, valuations, and why I'm cautious about that. A couple other things. I think you might have heard there's an election coming up. We're going to talk about that and how that could play in the market. So a lot to come here on the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Is the stock market too high? Is it too expensive? Is it going to break the record created during the tech bubble? They call it a bubble for a reason. History repeating itself. All sorts of questions. We're answering them today. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks for being here. My name is Mike Bernard. I'm your host here with me in the KFC studios, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. If you want to stay up to date on all Wise Money content, you'll find us online, wisemoneyshow.com. Then all over social media, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Wherever else, just search the Wise Money Show, follow us, and like us there. All right, so we're talking about the stock market, the unprecedented run that we've had so far this year, and we're only six months in. Where does it go from here? What should you do about it? Should you be pessimistic and cautious? Should you be bullish and optimistic? We're starting with the pessimism side. Left off on valuation. So basically, um, there's all sorts of examples where Wall Street or investors are risk on and they're happy to be risk on and not looking back. And here's an example, Lemonade. No, not the beverage, the company that is the hottest IPO on, on Wall Street this year. And they listed their stock, their IPO around 28 bucks and it quickly surged up to $80, making the company worth about $4 billion. Well, that's okay, right? Because the company probably created the cure for coronavirus or whatever. Nope. It's an insurance company. All they do is insurance. Hmm. And they said they're going to use artificial intelligence and they're going to help the world. But no, they're just an insurance. And uh, well, they probably have really great sales. No, last year their sales were only $60 million. Oh, well, then they have great profits. No, last year they lost $108 million. But somehow <laughs> Wall Street's pricing this thing at $4 billion. Tesla as well is just a, a, like, a ma- like the stock price is through the roof. And they've got all sorts of potential. However, if you look, I just saw a graph of this. If you look at revenue for Tesla over the past three years, it's pretty much static. 
<laughs> like even revenue, it hasn't made a profit. Even revenue is just static. So it, I, I feel like you're right to compare this market to the dot-com bubble in a sense, because what was the theme back then? It was all about hot new technologies, new disruptive technologies that are going to dismantle existing industries, completely change the face of, of how we shop, how we do business, all of that. And here we are, you know, 20 years later, and much of it is coming true finally, Yep. right? There is more banking done online and there is more shopping done online and everything. I, and t new technologies that are, are theoretically driving new capabilities are the hot theme these days. I remember sitting in an Econ 201 hearing about a company that was going to deliver your groceries. And it was, you're never going to go to the grocery store again. And I thought, huh, I wonder, yeah, that's interesting. And then it was like, that, you know, a year later, it was, <laughs> that was ridiculous. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Stupid people. You know, of course, you're going to keep going to the grocery store. And guess what? I'm a subscriber to Shipped <laughs> yeah. right now. Right. Right. So. Right. Uh, it's happening, it, which is fascinating because when you in at some point in time, we just need to do a show on all the things that the coronavirus has um, changed, infected in <laughs> um, change. Because I have neighbors who uh, have professional careers and they deliver for shipped and it is it's their escape. They love huh. delivering for shipped. A fun hobby, huh? Yeah, it's and and they got into it because their kids who who live uh, in a different town altogether were when the university shut down, they started delivering for shipped, and then she was looking at how much money her daughter made and said, "Well, I can do yeah, that, right? I know how to drive uh, a because car. because they had been sidelined. Um, they're certainly a very essential business, but not allowed to operate." Uh, for a season, and so uh, they were doing it, and it's pretty cool. So we'll be talking more about valuations. I, I do think it's very, it's very close parallel to what happened in 2000, just be, for the same reason you mentioned, Josh, but also because it was today's uh, profit or loss doesn't matter because it will be profitable in the future. And that's even if you're not a disruptor, that's what Wall Street is thinking. Because listen, this coronavirus, we will be past it at some point, and so today's poor profits or losses don't really matter because you'll you'll be back on your feet in no time. And I don't know. No yeah. one knows. Well, but the analysts are making their predictions. 2021 is when they see profits spiking back up, getting to all new highs. And maybe at that time, justifying the high price that people are paying for stocks right now. But, you know, you, you go back to the end of last year and part of the conversation we were having with clients is, kind of this warning that, you know, the stock market seems a little expensive-ish right now. It's, yeah. it's on the higher end of the, the spectrum as far as what you pay versus what you get in, in profits out of that. And now it is spiked way higher. I know. I'm looking at the chart right now. Yeah. It, it was really close to this, this dangerous threshold, dropped way down, and then has broken way through that threshold now. So anyway, okay, so Kevin, you know, one of the big risks is uncertainty with the coronavirus. And um, another big risk is the political uh, climate and even the tensions with China. We'll touch on that. But you wanted to make some predictions about the coronavirus. No, I didn't. I didn't necessarily want. I, I love to think about what 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 do you think is going to happen? And I was actually. I thought you just said, guys, don't do this. I like to do this, but don't do it. Right. And now you're saying, let's do it? Right. Yeah, let's do it. Because <laughs> so here's. So on March 29th, I go back to a text uh, that I had with one of the smartest guys that I know. 
and um, he he has you know when when God was passing out brains, uh, Doug thought he said trains and said, "Give me a, a the silver bullet here." I mean, he <laughs> is just amazing, and um, so he said, and we were talking on March 29th, He said by the end of April, there'll be 10 million cases in the U.S. because he was looking at the yep. the the curve and the trajectory, and he said two weeks out there'll be a, a million cases in the U.S. This was March 29th. So two weeks later, we were at 675-ish. And now here we are, um, April, May, three-plus months later, we're at 3 million cases in the U.S., not 10 million. Mm -hmm. So the only thing that we've known is some of the smartest people that we might know personally or we've watched or listened to on TV, they've all been wrong, all the way from don't wear a mask Mm -hmm. to um, just go right down the line. So I... I think, um, and the tricky thing is you can't really say anything about this without being accused of being on one side or the other. Sure. Yeah. And I, as far as I can tell, the, the, the danger when we were looking early on at, five, you know, this virus is going to kill 5 to 10% of the people that it infects, and now we're down to less than 1%, and I believe that's, it, it appears as though that number is going to keep getting smaller, and that number gets smaller. There were five states, uh, New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Michigan, and California, where the governor said, let COVID, no, not let, you have to allow COVID-positive patients to go into nursing homes. When that went into the nursing homes and spread like wildfire through the nursing homes and hit people with comorbidity issues, that's what skewed the numbers. So I think we are. I, I think a lot of us are hostage and maybe fearful because we didn't pay enough attention in our statistics class. Mm-hmm. And so certainly by now, if you haven't gotten it, you've certainly gotten a warning uh, long enough to get your yourself physically kind of ready to get it. And it seems like we're we're all going to get it. So I. So here we go. If prediction, they're going to uh, they're going to open up the schools um, this fall, and and we're going to have two sets uh, of of people, two two different uh, tries. One is I'm going to send kids to school two days a week. The other is five days a week. I think the five day a weekers, it's going to work. That's my prediction. Mm. And you're and, and do you think we get a second shutdown across the country? No, I I don't. I think. The the yearning and longing for freedom has people saying I'm I'm not going to comply this time. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually sorry to not have drama here, but I actually completely agree with you. We got a lot more to hit on the pessimistic side as well as the optimistic side. So more coming up here on the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Stock market broke a couple of records this year in 2020. I'm not talking about new highs, although it did that. I'm talking about the fastest decline off of an all-time high. And the on the opposite end of the spectrum, the very best 50 days in the stock market ever. What do you make of all of this and what should you do? We're about to tell you. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks for being here. My name is Mike Bernard. Here with me in the KFG studios, 
Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. Now that you are free to go about the country, if you're listening to podcasts, you can catch every episode of the Wise Money Show wherever you listen to podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or whatever they're calling it, iTunes. Just search the Wise Money Show. Subscribe to it. Give us a rating. We appreciate that. And you can catch every episode right there. All right. So there's the, you know, we're about to turn into, well, how do you apply all of this? But there's another reason to be cautious. And I would tell you it's complete noise. And that's this presidential election, if you haven't heard about that. I, it actually did. It was sort of refreshing. For about two months, we didn't even remember there was an election. Yeah, I was going to say, and, the noise hasn't been as bad as it could have been. And right? now it feels like it's all about the election. It, it's like we're turning back into all the drama. And, you know, obviously there's some really, there's some very real um, social items going on across the country. And that kind of becomes a political issue. And maybe it was a political issue to begin with. I don't know. Um, but, you know, that is typically that that causes some uncertainty and typically causes investors to wonder, how do I play this? What do I do with my with my investments with the stock market um, in the stock market because of the election? Well, let me I'll make it really clear. And then we're going to turn to what you you should do about this. If you look at the presidential election or the presidential cycle, okay, so the four years of a president's term, which one does the best in the stock market? Well, here's the news report. They're all good. They're all good, okay? And surprisingly, the best year is the fourth year, which is the election year. <laughs> so everyone is like, every four years, well, what should I do with my investments? Um, the fourth year is the best year. What the studies have actually found is that investors who have a different political opinion than what's in power at the time, that research is extremely clear. Investors with the opposing political view as what's in power do poorly. They underperform. They underperform. That's the only stat that you need to point, you need to be aware of in the research. That is the warning that you had to hear today, too, right? Yeah. Because on both sides of the aisle, we have, I, I hear it all the time. If so and so wins, the stock market's going to crash. You know, we heard it back when it was Hillary and Trump running for for uh, election. And if if Hillary if Hillary wins, the whole world's going to fall apart. No, if Trump wins, the whole world's going to fall apart. And what you the the bet you made on who was going to win with your investments e either hurt you or it helped you. But you shouldn't be making and bets. St statistically, it hurts you. Now, for me, you know, Biden and the tax change in tax plan that does concern me. It does concern me. I mean, so I'm not saying you shouldn't be concerned or you shouldn't have you know your your brain turned on. Mine is on. I'm aware, but. The research says you tend to that that's the big mistake so right if you go back to 2012 i remember certain folks saying hey if barack obama is elected to a second term this is the end and for the most part when when i'm listening to people opine about their politics in in a client appointment they're they're not as concerned about the stock market as they are just for the country in general. Yeah. So there were some people that were for um, Tim Romney and uh, dyslexic <laughs> folks, um, but they they uh, if you if you look at that, they said Barack Obama and and the folks that responded missed an opportunity. There were folks that that said, "Hey, if Hillary gets elected or Donald gets elected in 2016." 
And we saw there was a, a general malaise in the market from about the middle of 2014 till October of 2016. And I remember people, um, new folks coming in saying, hey, you know, my the guy that sells me investments hasn't done a good job for me at all in the last two years. Um, I, I think we'd like you to help us. And we're looking at that. And I'm looking going, yeah, guess what? He's gotten you market results. The, it's, yeah. not, it's not your guy or your gal. It's the market that's right. been the stinker here. Well, that's okay, right. so this is the segue then. With, with all that pessimism or reason for cautiousness, what do you do? What, what do you do in the face of all this uncertainty and the face of these potential bubble? In the face of China a couple weeks ago saying running a tabloid saying, buy stocks and their market goes up 11 percent in a day because china ran pop propaganda what and do you that's do not with the first this? time they've no. done that either so what do you do with all this if you're an average investor what do you do you, you know the, the message that i've been communicating to clients as we've been reviewing their performance and and it's fun to to be able to sit down with clients and show them that they've weathered this storm really quite well and many of them are, most of them are positive on the year. Yeah. Um, it does feel a little weird, as you were saying in an earlier segment, to, to tell them, hey, we're basically flat on the year, or you're up just a little bit, but you have not been flat. It has been a <laughs> roller coaster ride. And the fact that you've, you saw the, the fastest decline in history, the, the stock market falling as sharply as it did, and a meteoric uh, rebound means that possibly there's an opportunity given to you to make sure your portfolio is structured properly for the next you know, 10, 20 years. You need to be thinking yeah. long-term, not <laughs> short-term. This is not about who's gonna win the next election. This is not about you know, whether coronavirus uh, cases are gonna spike or China and US are gonna start button heads again. This is about, are you positioned to achieve your goals and there are many people who are taking more risk than they realize, and you've been given an opportunity to pare back that risk without selling at depressed prices right now. For sure, for sure. Make sure that your asset allocation, which is probably the second most important decision you're going to make in your lifetime financially, make sure that your asset allocation is correct. And then make sure if you're going to be doing any kind of CARES Act distribution, if the market is is back close to break even, uh, it's still you know, depending on the day you look at it, a little bit underwater. And if you say, hey, I've got a diversified portfolio, it's even more underwater because of mm -hmm. international emergency, whatever. But th th still, if I'm a little bit underwater this year and and I needed to take some money out, that's not bad because I was probably up meaningfully last year. Mm -hmm. right. So net net net, I'm probably ahead. It, like you said, Josh, I've, I've kind of gotten a second bite at the apple here uh, to do something that I couldn't have done three months ago for sure could not have done, would not have wanted to do three months ago. Exactly. And, and for some people that might be, hey, I need to make sure I've got enough cash on hand to cover my needs for the next year or two. If you're in retirement or approaching retirement, one of the most important decisions that you make with your portfolio is how much cash do I have on hand so that I have a liquid, safe, stable place to go to get cash as I need it. And that way I don't have to sell something cheap 
in order to fund a need in my life at the exact wrong time. I'm a buyer. I'm a buyer. You know, I don't, I don't need the money for 30 years, you know, so don't, don't get caught up in the noise right now, or even listen to all of our reasons for pessimism. That's all short term. That's all getting you having the right expectations for what might be right around the corner. But you don't need, if, if you don't need the money for decades, buy, you're buying, you're buying, you're buying, buying into the world's best enterprises. Um, but as is sort of the undercurrent always is whatever your risk tolerance is and your investment approaches, it's got to be connected to your overall financial plan. The reason why our clients are most of them up right now is because their investment approach has been connected to their plan and they've got a core strategy and a dynamic momentum type strategy. So, um, all right. Okay. I, we haven't talked much about the real tangible reasons to be optimistic. We're going to hit that next. That more coming up here on the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. The Wise Money Show is brought to you by the attorneys at South Bank Legal, First State Bank, Diane Bennett and the Inspired Homes Team, and Bethel University Adult and Graduate Studies. How do you make a wise financial planning decision with your investments? Not get fixated on the noise, not get fixated on what's happening in the investment world. How do you make a wise choice so that you have freedom in your life? in the face of all this uncertainty. So that's what we're talking about right now. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks for being here. My name is Mike Bernard. I am your host here in the KFG studios with Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. Every episode of the Wise Money Show is on the YouTube channel as well as daily updates every single business day trying to apply, helping you apply wisdom in your financial life to what in the world is going on in the economy. So find us there on YouTube. Just search Wise Money Show, subscribe, and like us there. We appreciate that. Um, okay, so there are, despite the, the many, many reasons to be short-term pessimistic or cautious about the market, there's some actual tangible reasons to be optimistic. And the very, 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 very first one, very, is um, the Powell put or the, the Federal Reserve um, what did he say? We've got um, limitless options. Yeah. Well, yeah. Unlimited options to boost the economy. And it's not just Powell. It's basically this, this um, orchestrated event by all central banks, really, across, across the globe, that central banks will do anything and everything. Now, I think in the short term, it's so crazy we're talking about all-time highs because in the short term, I say that that helped us avoid depression. And now we're talking all-time highs. But I think that it creates more risk and potentially more volatility for the future. But one reason to be optimistic is, listen, the Fed's got your back. Yeah, you're exactly right. And in the, uh, in the investment world, in the economic world, we call that fiscal, or sorry, monetary policy. There's monetary policy and fiscal policy. They're two different ways of pouring fertilizer on the economic lawn, so to speak. And the fiscal policy is when Congress takes action and they start stimulating by the government spending more money or reducing taxes, keeping money in consumers' pockets so that they'll spend it and stimulate the economy. What you're talking about is monetary policy where the Fed, by lowering interest rates 
or pumping more liquidity into the economy, it, it allows um, it allows to stimulate or to try to prop up the economy. Unfortunately, it can create some some bubble scenarios too. I, I'm I'm smiling because you use old terms. I mean that that comment was dated. That the only <laughs> thing the Fed does is they lower interest rates and and yeah, that's and the most money. classic. Well, but they're getting very creative these days, aren't wow, they? Wow, like I I actually think I actually think they said they'd never buy individual securities. But they are. Yeah. They're buying junk. They're buying junk bonds. So if I'm a junk bond, if I make money by opportunistically buying depressed prices, the Fed just stepped in front of you. And they actually maybe pushed you out of line because they're going to buy that junk. And then um, and they're buying stocks and everything else. I mean, they're the buy. They want to own it all. One of the YouTube guys I know, Kevin and I look follow, he says the Fed wants to own everything. And uh, it's a little scary, but at the same time, if you're just an investor in the stock market, I mean, the Fed has basically put in a floor, it seems. Yeah, it's like any crisis point out there, any any asset that is depressed or you can't sell it, they'll be a buyer they'll for buy it, it, right? Mm -hmm. and, and what they're doing is they're creating a uh, an exit strategy for people so that they don't get caught in the crisis, which has you know a domino effect throughout the the whole economy potentially. And certainly, what they've done is they've they've encouraged uh, there there are certain moral hazards about what's happened. That is so, and I'm an optimist, but I look at this and I'm it's a little bit discouraging. And I think the the message to our clients is, hey, you've got an opportunity right now, a golden opportunity to improve your balance sheet, quite possibly. So take that opportunity. Lots of folks that we're talking to uh, have mortgages somewhere between four to four and a half percent that they might have refinanced three or four years ago, thinking I will never get a rate like this again. And the the rates are there. Now you have, you know, uh, Wells Fargo coming out telling new clients they need a million dollars in balances for certain mortgage refinancing. So the banks are getting very selective, very <laughs> Can you can you trust the, <laughs> what they say anyway? Uh, Wells Fargo very trustworthy. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So, uh, Mike they I I look at my 17 accounts that uh, yeah. I've got at Wells Fargo. <laughs> but but mortgage 30 year mortgage rates hit an all-time low last uh, 2 weeks ago mm -hmm. and that's something that our own Kevin S. Corhorn was right on. He said 30 year rates will get to 3% and there you have it. Well, I, I love that you point that out as an opportunity for people to improve their financial position. Absolutely. To, to refinance or restructure your debt um, can, can reduce some of the money that's bleeding out in the form of interest. But here's the temptation. In low interest rate environments like this, you may also be tempted to just go get more debt yeah. because if you can borrow money so cheap and you can go invest it in an, an, a business, a piece of property, a car, I, I use that word facetiously, obviously, it's not an investment. But the point is, cheap debt drives behavior sometimes. Right. And, and sometimes it drives behavior in the wrong direction. Risky behavior. And that's a that's an interesting segue, because I would also cite a reason for optimism. So that the, 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 our country, our economy is if you really simplified, you'd say, two-thirds consumer, one-third government. And we already said government wants to spend money, right? And they're trying to buy some votes. But the consumer somehow, somehow seems really healthy. 
that is very anecdotal evidence. But, um, you know, I, my kids are in baseball, softball, and no one is worried about this little virus at Little League Parks. I mean, it is. They are just booming. Mm-hmm. And so as I'm driving around, driving to park, you know, driving to practice, whatever, the number of paper license plates that I see, are it's noticeably higher noticeably higher and why would you have a paper license plate because you just bought a new vehicle and i know that the numbers for these vehicle sales were way down in the second quarter but i just anecdotally it seems like there's a ton of new cars the housing market is still extremely strong and so i think that somehow the consumer is healthy now hopefully they don't go from healthy to unhealthy because they've taken out a bunch of cheap debt and blah 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 but Somehow the consumer's the, healthy. The case that you'd make for the consumer being healthy is the, the the longest and slowest recovery that we ever saw over a 10-plus year period. The consumer didn't have a chance to get frenetic and overheated, and so they've had to get better and better and better at managing in in kind of a slow set sledding yeah. uh, time period, and I think the same the, the same is true of businesses. I mean, in two thousand eight and nine, businesses just blew up left and right, and I'm looking at this, and certainly a lot of folks have been hurt, but I think you know at at the tail end of a long slow recovery, to have a, an event like this is what stopped the recovery. Um, I think I, I'm. I it does give me cause for optimism. Uh, let me let me pile into this um, optimistic uh, party here a little bit too, because I'm looking at a chart here that's showing the um, the, the portion of most households' income that goes towards debt payments, and it's the lowest it's been in my lifetime. Wow. Okay. The highest point, no surprise, came. Uh, at the the end of the housing bubble, 2007, that fourth quarter, right before the huge drop off, debt was like um, you, you couldn't get enough of it at that point, and people mm-hmm. were making huge payments and everything. It tells me that the story here is this sliding um, amount that's going towards uh, debt payments. It, it shows me that the consumer has learned their lesson. Mm-hmm. The last crisis changed us as a as a nation. And I'm, I'm hopeful that it remains that way. And, and maybe we become even, uh, we have even less of an appetite for debt moving forward. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, one final thing I'll throw in there before we sum it all up is there is still a ton of money on the sidelines, a ton of money. And uh, lots, of, lots of institutions, lots of financial professionals are cautious in the short term. The folks that try to make short-term bets, they're not investing, they're betting, they're gambling. They've got a lot of money sitting on the sidelines because they're waiting for a pullback, which almost always means there won't be one because mm-hmm. any little pullback, that money gets sucked into the market and it pushes the, the stocks right back right back up. So there's really, really meaningful reasons in the face of all this uncertainty to be optimistic. Now, here we go. We said it a little bit last segment, but, but what do you do with this? I mean, guys, you need... Your investments should not get a disproportionate amount of attention in your financial life. If they do, they start occupying too much of your brain space and you're not able to live an enjoyable life. You need to have an overall comprehensive financial plan working with a CFP and you need to know 
what your disciplined long-term investment strategies are and that those strategies fit in with your financial plan. And then after that, you just go to sleep at night. I mean, just peacefully and don't worry about the noise. Hey, and, and here's an example of a way that your investments should fit into that financial plan you were just talking about. The, the crossroad between your investment strategy and your tax strategy may be something that you need to be revisiting right now. There, you may have been caught with the wrong types of investments in the wrong accounts. You have most likely some tax shelters that are deferring taxes or they're postponing taxes, and you have some tax shelters that are eliminating taxes, tax-free type of accounts. And then you may have others where as you make uh, investment changes within them from year to year, you will pay the taxes as you go. And the point here is your selection of investments in each of those various types of buckets matters. The way that you use tax diversification matters. And with the market giving us a nice rebound, if you don't have that structured properly, now may be an opportunity for you to rethink it. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry, Kevin was, uh, if you heard some breathing there, I think... uh, (laughs) <laughs> was that me? I think so. I was okay. I was watching. Um, so <laughs> here's the other thing I would tell you. I mean, we're talking about your financial plan. And if you're in your 40s or 50s, we've talked about this before, you need to have your retirement plan built by that time. Okay. If you're in your 30s or 20s, or if you've got kids in their 30s or 20s, you got to be buyers right now. You've got to be buyers and you got to not look at, well, was it, did I buy did I buy in at the wrong quarter? No, there's gonna I think I think risk is elevated. Expected near-term returns are lower because there's gonna be greater volatility. I, I just think that. So you need to be buying. You need to be buying consistently. If you're cautious or you need to fix that overall allocation, do so with rebalancing, but your new money, make sure that you're still investing. The way the way you want to do this is be a buyer during this volatility. And so work with your certified financial planner, have a disciplined investment philosophy that works in good times and bad, and make sure it's all connected to your, to your overall financial plan. That's clarity and confidence right there. So, all right, that's all the time we have for today. On behalf of Josh Gregory, Kevin Corhorn, and all of us at KFG, we'll see you next time for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Securities offered through Silver Oak Securities, member FINRA slash SIPC. Advisory services offered through KFG Wealth Management, LLC. Doing business as Corhorn Financial Group. KFG Wealth Management, LLC and Silver Oak Securities Incorporated companies are unaffiliated.